Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly here every single Wednesday. You're not going to want to miss it. And we post every Thursday on YouTube as well. Now today we are doing something that doesn't happen all too often on Killer Instinct, but today we are back with an update case because so much has unraveled with this case that it's honestly unbelievable. And I will say in the past month or so, I have been bombarded with emails and Instagram DMs and tweets and phone calls from just family and friends over two cases specifically, one of which we are going to be unpacking today. Now, as you can tell by the title of today's episode, Today, we are doing an update on the Murdoch family. Now, if you are unaware, we did an episode on the Murdoch family that was uploaded in late August. So now we're in about mid-late October, and a lot has transpired since then. I will be giving a brief summary of what happened that led us to where we are now. However, I really do encourage you to go listen to that other episode because we really go and break it down into detail about everything that happened that led us to where we are today. This case is absolutely mind-blowing. It's one that I have been watching like a hawk. And so with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now, before we get started, I do want to take a moment and correct some of the pronunciation that I misspoke on last time. Pronunciation is very difficult. I always do try my best. However, sometimes I slip up. So I want to go ahead and correct some of those words that I mispronounced before. And the first one is Murdoch. It is spelt Murdoch, but it is correctly pronounced Murdoch. So that's the first one. And the father of the family is named Alec Murdoch. But the way his name is spelt, you would think his name is Alex Murdoch. However, his name is Alec. Murdoch. I also want to correct that it is Colleton County, I believe is how you say it. If I'm still mispronouncing them, I sincerely apologize. However, I do believe after doing some research and after hearing your guys' comments that that is the correct way to say those specific things now. The Murdoch family is a very prominent and well-known family in Colleton, South Carolina. And the Murdoch family that we are going to be talking about today and what that family unit looks like, it consists of husband and wife, Alec and Maggie Murdoch, as well as their two sons, Paul and Buster. Maggie was 52 years old, Paul was 22 years old, and Buster is currently 25 years old. Now, the Murdoch family basically had their own legal empire. They have been prosecuting crimes across five different counties for eight decades leading up until 2006. Now, with all of those family ties into the legal and justice system, you can imagine that this family holds some pretty big weight and they're very well known. And where there is power and where there is a reputation, there is also varying opinions. And there are a lot of varying opinions about the Murdoch family. Some people have described this family as the nicest family they have met. They would give you the shirt off of their back. And then there is people that believe that this family is a bunch of con artists who use their power for their own benefit and really use it to beat the system and kind of get around the system, which we are going to dive all into today. Now, when it comes to the Murdoch boys, Paul and Buster, they grew up with a very idyllic childhood. This family comes from a lot of money, so they were able to access the best schools, the best education, the best sports teams. They were in it all. Paul and Buster were born into wealth. They knew nothing different. They never knew anything other than the private schools and the yacht club parties and the endless amount of money. They never knew any different. That's the lifestyle that they grew up in. That truly was their normal. And as important as it is to recognize that, it's also equally as important to recognize the fact that your upbringing and where you come from should not be able to buy you out of the 
consequences of your actions. Now, while most families have their fair share of drama and their fair share of scandals, the Murdoch family was different in the way that their scandals and their drama was murder. This family is linked to many bizarre and mysterious deaths, and we are going to walk through all of them. And the first one that we're going to talk about is the death of Mallory Beach. And this occurred on February 24th, 2019. Now, this was in Beaufort, South Carolina, and Beaufort is an extremely idyllic southern town that's known for its beautiful waters as well as its southern charm. Now, on this night, Paul, as well as his five other friends, went on his father's 17-foot boat that was named the Sea Hunt. On the early morning hours of the 24th, there was a boat crash that led to the death of 19-year-old Mallory Beach. Mallory was described by her family and friends as a kind-hearted Southern girl who displayed kindness to everyone she came in contact with. She played soccer in high school and after high school had a job at a local retail shop. Mallory's free time was spent hanging out with her friends and going out on the water. She loved boating. She loved water sports. She loved all of that. And she also loved animals. She was a huge animal advocate, but sadly her life was taken way too soon on February 24th, 2019. So let's talk about what happened leading up to the boat crash. So about nine hours prior to this boat crash, Paul visited a local liquor store that was called Parker's and he went in and used Buster's fake ID. He used his brother's fake ID to go in and purchase alcohol for him and his friends to go out on the boat that night. Now let's talk about who was on this boat that night because it was three sets of couples that were on this boat. So obviously you had Paul Murdoch and Mallory Beach, but you also had Anthony Cook, who was Mallory's boyfriend. Now Anthony's brother is named Connor and he was also on the boat at the time with his girlfriend, which is a girl named Miley Altman. Paul also had a girlfriend who was on the boat with them and her name is Morgan Doty. So this was basically a couple's boating excursion. You had the girls, Morgan, Mallory, and Miley, and then you had the boys, Anthony, Connor, and Paul. Now, the reason that they were going on the boat to begin with is because they were going to an oyster party this night. So they were going to this oyster roast party and the party was about an hour away by boat. So Paul was going to drive his dad's boat with the rest of his friends. They were going to go. It was going to be, like I said, about an hour away. They were going to stay for a couple hours and then they were going to come back. That was their plan. So they got to the oyster party at about 8 o'clock p.m and stayed for about four hours before leaving. Now, according to Paul's friends at the time, they said that there was some discussion as to whether or not it was the smartest decision for Paul to drive the boat back. A lot of them said it would be easier for them to just Uber back and then they could come and get the boat again in the morning because all of them had been drinking. However, Paul was noticeably the drunkest out of the group. However, Paul insisted that they were going to take the boat back. He didn't want to Uber. He just thought taking the boat was the easiest way to go. Now, because Paul's dad's boat was the method of transportation, Paul really was the ringleader of the group. So he packed everyone into the boat and they began their ride back to Beaufort. Now in this ride back, Paul almost crashed multiple times. There was one instance where Paul turned the steering wheel and almost crashed and Connor actually had to come and grab the steering wheel and straighten the boat out for him. Now, after about halfway into their trip back, Paul decided that it would be the right idea to stop off in downtown Beaufort and go into one of the local bars there and have a few drinks. So him and Connor stopped off in downtown Beaufort. And there's actually surveillance footage of the two of them getting off the boat and walking into the bar. And while they did that, Mallory, Morgan, Miley, and Anthony stayed on the dock and waited for them. Now, obviously, with Paul being the drunkest out of the group before going to the bars, adding more alcohol into his system just made him borderline belligerent at this point. 
Paul and Connor went into a bar called Luther's and they ordered a few drinks while the rest of the group stayed behind. And the two of them went back and met up with the group to continue their ride back. They ended up leaving the dock again at about 1.16 a.m. And everyone in the group said that at this point, Paul's driving was terrifying. No one wanted him to drive, but Paul kept insisting on the fact that he was going to keep driving. Now, Anthony and Mallory were sitting in the back of the boat together, and Anthony said that Mallory was really scared of Paul's driving, so much so that she actually called him out on it. But at this point, according to everyone on the boat, Paul had a very aggressive demeanor to him. He was really snapping at anyone who suggested that he shouldn't be driving. He would get really angry with them. He got really upset with them. So at a certain point, everyone just decided it would be best for them to just stop talking and let him concentrate and drive home. So now we're at about 2.13 in the morning on the 24th. And at this point, everyone is still in the boat driving back. And what we know now is that Paul, who was driving and at the steering wheel, left the wheel to go to the front of the boat and was arguing with his girlfriend, Morgan. Now, during the time that he was arguing with Morgan, there was no one at the steering wheel. And before he could get back to the steering wheel, this boat accelerated to 29 miles per hour. Once it accelerated, it spun into the bridge at Archer's Creek. And this is when Paul, Anthony, and Mallory were all flung out of the boat and into the water. Again, Paul was at the very front of the boat and Anthony and Mallory were sitting in the very back. Now, after the three of them were thrown into the water, the boat then sped back up and ran into an embankment where it eventually stopped. Now, Anthony remembers coming up for air out of the water and seeing Paul. However, Mallory at this point was nowhere to be found. Authorities were called onto the scene. However, there was a miscommunication as to where the crash actually was. So authorities went to a different bridge first instead of the bridge where the crash had happened. So first responders didn't get there until about 45 minutes after the crash had already happened. I am going to be playing the 911 phone call for you guys. And this phone call that you're about to hear is Connor calling the 911 operator. And you will be able to hear over the the 911 call that it is clear that there is some sort of miscommunication going on between Connor and the dispatcher. However, I do want to play that call for you guys, so we are going to do so right now. What bridge is Paul? What bridge is this? Paul, what bridge? 911, where's your emergency? Please fire any of this. Hello? We're in a boat crash on Arthur Street. Where, where about on Arthur Street? In Arthur Street, the only bridge on Arthur Street. Arthur Street? Arthur's Creek. Arthur's Creek. Arthur's Creek. Is it down? Okay. What's going on? It's Bob Paris Island. Right. What, what's going on? We're in a boat crash. You know what? What kind of a? A boat crash. A a boat? Did you say a boat crash? A boat crash. Okay, so you're at uh, are you at the dock? Hello, are you are you at the dock? No, we just crashed in a boat. Okay, are you in the water or are you? We're we're in the boat. Okay. We have someone missing. Okay. Okay. Hang on one second, okay? Call in reference to a disabled, I'm sorry, a boat crash. There's six people on board. They currently have one missing. All right. It's in Archer's Creek, which is right there off of Paris Island. There's a bridge on Paris Island. They're underneath it. They crashed into the bridge. Alpha 29. I for I'll be in and out to the Bell Bridge. He also notified Port Royal and PMO know as well. Affirmative. We're making notification. Okay. Do you have a description of It's a uh, one female. Uh, that's all the description I have of her right now. EMS one respond to an accident with injuries. Fifty Marine is dry. 
Boulevard in Paris Island for beating. It's going to be a change in that location. They're on Malacan Drive down right before you get to the traffic circle. County's on scene, Port Royal's on scene. Um, evidently, the girl was sitting on her boyfriend's lap when they hit the bridge at a high rate of speed, and now she's missing. Um, which bridge which did they hit? The one on the causeway? Stand by, sir. Um, they hit the, the actual pants on the bridge, right? We don't know. We're, they're not. They just keep telling us they hit the bridge. Um, Three ten got on scene. He said the fog is pretty thick. That at first he couldn't even find who they were. Find them. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So that was the 911 call for the boat crash. And during the 45 minutes that everyone was waiting for the first responders to arrive, Paul did not seem concerned at all that Mallory was missing. It was even said that he was smiling and laughing after the crash. And Anthony at this point, which is Mallory's boyfriend, was understandably livid. He was furious and he was terrified. His girlfriend is now missing. They just got into this giant boat crash and no one can find Mallory. Mallory's body was discovered seven days after the crash and it was determined that her cause of death was drowning and secondary blunt force trauma to the head. Now after the crash, Paul, Connor, Morgan and Miley were all taken to the hospital. However, Anthony refused to go because at this point they still hadn't found Mallory and he wanted to be on the scene and basically waiting for her. He wanted to help search for her and he did not want to go to the hospital. So he stayed behind on the scene while the other four went to the hospital. And authorities met the four of them at the hospital to learn more about what exactly happened that caused the crash. Now, according to everyone at the hospital, including Paul's friends, Paul was extremely arrogant from the second he got to the hospital. It was said that he was cursing out the police officers, he was getting in their face, he was yelling at them. And it didn't take long for police to figure out who Paul was. And when I say that, I mean it didn't take long for them to figure out that he was a Murdoch and came from the Murdoch family. There's actually police body cam footage of one officer talking to another officer where one officer informed another officer who Paul Murdoch was the son of and basically told him, good luck. Now, through talking to Miley, police were able to learn that the first person that Paul contacted after the boat crash wasn't his father. However, it was actually his grandfather. Paul's grandfather was a very well-established lawyer, and Paul's grandfather and Alex arrived on the scene and went to the hospital with the others. And it is said that when Alec got to the hospital, he went into full on lawyer mode to protect Paul. He was going room to room, talking to everyone involved and trying to get them to steer the blame away from Paul. Alec Murdaugh has actually represented several of their officers before, so they have a very close relationship. Now, when it came to the investigation of this boat crash, even though every single person said that Paul was the one driving the boat, it took actually three weeks in order for police to have determined that to be true. And ironically enough, the first officer that initially on the scene reported Paul to have been driving the boat the very first day that the crash had happened, his name is Officer Domino, and he was actually fired three months after the boat crash for alleged drug use. Now, when it comes to the initial police report of the crash, there were a lot of things that happened that night that were not documented. And the only reason that we know that 
that is because the police body cam footage had been released and a lot of the things that were said on that body cam footage were not reported and were not written down. Now, what we also know is that on the night of the crash, Alec Murdaugh refused to let police talk to his son. And along with that, Paul was not given a field sobriety test that night. Now, two months following the boating crash, Paul was charged with one count of felony boating under the influence causing death and two counts of boating under the influence causing injury. Now, Paul pled not guilty to all of the charges against him, and he was awaiting trial at the time of his death. Mallory's mother, Renee, was also filing a wrongful death lawsuit against the entire Murdoch family, including Alex's father, Randolph Murdoch III, as well as the Parker's convenience store that supplied Paul with the alcohol. And what Renee was alleging in this wrongful death lawsuit was that Alec, as well as Randolph III, intervened with the investigation and did not allow police to question all of the survivors of the boating crash that night. So that is what we know about the boating crash that led to the death of Mallory Beach. There has been a lot of new information since the August video that we did and the August episode of the Murdoch family. We didn't know a lot of the information that I just gave you right now back then. Now, the next person that we are going to be talking about is 19-year-old Stephen Smith. In 2015, 19-year-old Stephen Smith was found dead in Hampton, South Carolina. Now, Stephen's death is a little more complicated because even though the Murdoch family name has been brought up multiple times during this investigation, there is no direct link with the Murdoch family and Stephen's death. This one is a lot of he said, she said. It's a lot of rumors, but we are going to go all through it. Stephen Smith was born on January 29th, 1996, and he has a twin sister. Stephen was given actually a 50% chance of survival at birth because he was only two pounds, but he pulled through and overcame the odds. His mother said that his room was like a library because Stephen loved books and was incredibly smart. Now, throughout high school, Stephen was openly gay. He graduated from Wade Hampton High School that he also attended with classmate Buster Murdoch. Now, after graduating, high school, Stephen went on to attend a local junior college that was about an hour away from Hampton, and he had dreams of becoming a nurse and was attending nursing school at the time of his death. Now, on July 8th, 2015, at about 3.59 a.m., there was a 911 call made to report a body that was found in the middle of the road. Now, I am about to play that 911 call for you, and this is the 911 call that reported to Stevens' body. Hampton County, now one. Where's your emergency? Hello, uh, I just going down the wrong Parkerville Road. Mm. I see somebody laying out. What road are you? What's the name of the highway that you're on? Uh, I know it's Parkerville Road. Uh, you just know it's Parkerville Road. Yeah. Um, hold on, just a second. And which way are you headed? Okay, uh, you know, that way to go, uh, like you going to Fort Brunson? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, you're on that road just before you get into Crockettville? Turn so Crockettville and make that right. Okay. Crockettville, take a right. Wait, take a, don't take a left. Well, you call it 601? Uh-huh. Bamberg. Uh-huh. If I'm, call, if I'm going toward Bamberg, I'm going to take a left on that road? Yeah, like you're going to, uh, I can get a road called 14. You can go to San Jerome, but... But you're not on Sandy Run Road? Yeah, I think it is. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's Sandy Road goes straight on out. Okay. Uh-huh. And is it in the road or on the side of the road? It, it, it's in the road. Oh, in the road? Yeah. Uh-uh. All right. So what's your name and call that number? Uh, My name is Ronnie Caper. Okay. All right, Mr. Caper. Can I get a phone number for you? Uh... I don't know the number off, off the cell phone, but you can call this number back. I was okay. going to work. Okay, but this is a good number to reach you back at? Yeah. Okay, all right. We'll get an officer headed out that way to see what's going on. Okay, they uh, need the road. I, uh, I ain't moving or nothing like that, but uh, somebody's going to hit him. It's dark. Uh-huh. Somebody's going to hit him. 
All right. We're getting also headed out that way. Okay. All right. Now, when officers arrived on the scene, they found Stephen lying in the middle of Sandy Run Road. Now, the body was in Crockettville, which is about four miles from Hampton, and the body was soon identified as Stephen Smith. Now, in the very, very first report, in the very initial report of Stephen's death, his death was believed to be a homicide. Now, the reason that it was believed to be a homicide was because Stephen had very severe head trauma. It was very clear that he had been struck in the head with something. However, shortly after, the pathologist stated that it appeared that Stephen was a victim of a hit and run. But here's why that doesn't make a lot of sense. There were no tire marks or vehicle debris found anywhere near Stephen's body at the time. Along with that, the only injuries that Stephen had were a blunt force trauma injury to the head as well as a dislocated shoulder. He had no other injuries other than that. And another big factor here is Stephen's shoes. Now, Stephen's shoes were loosely tied on his feet and they were still found on his feet when his body was discovered. And a lot of people believe that if Stephen was the victim of a hit and run, his shoes were so loose on that they would have fallen off of his feet had he been struck by a vehicle. The theory here is that once the vehicle struck Stephen, his shoes would have fallen off on impact. However, they were still found on his feet when his body was discovered. Now, after about a year of this case being investigated, Stephen's case was ultimately closed because no one could figure out really what happened to him and the pathologist ruled it a hit and run. So authorities didn't really think that they had to do a full-on investigation for this. Now let's talk about Stephen's injuries. There was a seven-inch laceration on the side of Stephen's forehead, along with bruises on both sides of his head. The right side of his skull had multiple fractures, and his right eyebrow was cut. He had cuts on his right fingers and blood in his airways. But you would think if Stephen was struck by a vehicle, he would have injuries on his legs, he would have injuries on his feet, just at least cuts or something. But there was nothing like that. Now, if Stephen wasn't hit by a car and if his cause of death wasn't a hit and run, then what happened to Stephen and where does Buster Murdoch fall into all of this? Now, there was an investigator named Todd Proctor who works in Charleston and he spoke with multiple of Buster's classmates and people who knew both Stephen and Buster. Now, the importance of him working in Charleston and the significance there is that he's been very vocal from the very beginning that the investigators in Hampton County could have a favoritism bias towards the Murdochs and really be trying to protect them due to their ties in the legal system. However, Todd Proctor has been very, again, vocal about the fact that he has no bias on either side and he just wants to find justice for Stephen. Now, in all of the articles that I have read about Todd Proctor, he has changed the names of the students that he has talked to to protect their privacy and because of the sensitivity of the case. So because of that, and to keep it as least confusing as possible for you, I am just going to run with the names that I saw being used in the articles. However, remember, these are all aliases. They're not the real names of these people. So the first person that Todd Proctor spoke with is a guy named Jack. Now, according to Jack, he said that he heard that Buster was responsible for Stephen's death from a friend of his named Monica, who heard it from her friend named Kayla. The story there was that Buster and one or two of his friends were driving around at night and saw Stephen's car. When they did, it is believed that Buster and his friends looped their car around and drove by Stephen while sticking something out the window in order to hit him and it did. So essentially, Buster and his friends drove by Stephen while hitting him over the head with a blunt object. That is the initial story. So like I said, Jack had heard this story through his friend Monica, who heard it from her friend Kayla. So Todd Proctor then decided to call 
Kayla. Now, when Todd Proctor asked her about Stephen's death, she said that she had heard that one of her classmates had done it. And when asked what classmate, she said, Buster Murdoch. Kayla said that she had heard this rumor from another classmate of hers, which is a guy named Isaac. But the story that Kayla had was a little bit different than the story that Jack did. Kayla said that she heard that Buster and his friends physically beat up Steven before putting him in the back of their truck and ultimately throwing him out of it. So that is a very different story than them driving by him and hitting him over the head with something. This story is that Buster and his friends physically beat up Steven. Now, Sandy, who is Steven's mother, has been very vocal about the fact that she believes that her son was murdered because he was gay. She said that Steven would not have been walking around on a Sandy Run Road in the middle of the night. Now, there were also some rumors floating around that Buster and Steven could have have had some sort of relationship. There is not a lot of proof to back this up. However, it is an alleged rumor that has been floating around. A lot of people have wondered if that was the motive behind this. Now, something else that's interesting here is that there is actually a guy who claimed to be Stephen's boyfriend at the time of his death. Now, I say claimed because Stephen's family is convinced that they were not together and that they were not dating. However, this guy is basically very on the fact that they were together and they did have a relationship. Now, this so-called love interest of Stevens said that Steven had been harassed constantly by his classmates for being gay and also said that some of his classmates had messed with Steven's car battery. So someone had messed with his car battery, which ultimately led him to pull over on the side of the road, which is why he was stopped on Sandy Run Road. This love interest said that Stephen was harassed by, quote, rednecks in a big truck with big mud tires, end quote. Now, a relative of Stephen said that two weeks prior to his death, Stephen became very secretive. He was never a secretive guy. He was very open with what he was doing and who he was with. However, two weeks prior to his death, he started acting a little shady. He wouldn't tell people where he was going or he would lie about where he was. And he was coming home really, really late. Now, another bizarre thing about Stephen's case is that Alec's father and the boy's grandfather, Randolph Murdoch, called Stephen's father the day of Stephen's death. The day that Stephen's death was reported, Randolph called Stephen's father and said that he would take on Stephen's case free of charge, which the family thought was incredibly strange. It was very out of left field, very out of nowhere. And a lot of people believe that the only reason that Randolph offered this was so that he could always be one step ahead in this case and always know what was going on. That way, Buster would never be held responsible for anything. Now, as of July 23rd, 2021, so just a couple months ago, Stephen Smith's case has been reopened and is being looked into again currently by the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. Now, there is something else that we need to discuss as well, and someone else we need to talk about, and that is the nanny of the Murdoch family. Gloria Harriet Satterfield worked for the Murdoch family as their nanny and housekeeper. She was 57 years old and had worked for the Murdochs for over 20 years before her bizarre death. She had tripped and fallen down the stairs to her death in the Murdoch family home in 2018. So that would be three years after Stephen's death and one year prior to Mallory's death. Now, there was never an autopsy performed formed on Gloria, and her cause of death was actually ruled natural, that she died of natural causes, which people find strange because clearly she didn't die of natural causes. She died after falling down the stairs. Now, Gloria has two sons who were named Tony and Brian, and according to the boys, they were told by Alec Murdaugh that Alec was going to basically file a wrongful death lawsuit against himself in order to essentially take care of Gloria's sons. This wrongful death lawsuit was going to be $505,000 
dollars that Alec was going to give to Tony and Brian. However, Tony and Brian said that they have not yet seen a single dime from that lawsuit. So now the Murdoch family is linked to Mallory Beach's death, allegedly Stephen Smith's death, and Gloria, the housekeeper's death. And that all brings us to June 7th, 2021. Now on June 7th, 2021, Paul, Alec, and Maggie were staying at their family's hunting lodge in Colleton County. This is a 1,770 acre hunting lodge. So it is a very large property. This is not the type of property where you have neighbors close by who can really hear anything that's going on. And at the time, Buster was not at the property because he was working about two and a half hours away in a town called Rock Hill. That's where he was living at the time. And that's where he was working at the time. Now on the day of the 7th, Alec was busy taking care of his parents. He had went and visited his mother and then went and visited his father, Randolph Murdoch. And he went and visited Randolph in the hospital because Randolph was actually dying of cancer. And he ended up dying three days after the 7th, after all of this happened. Now, once Alec was done visiting his parents, he ended up returning to the family's hunting lodge around 10 o'clock p.m. that night. And when he got home onto his property and into the house, he realized that Maggie and Paul were nowhere to be found. And he thought that to be a little strange. So he went through the entire house, top to bottom, looking for Maggie and Paul, but couldn't find them anywhere. After scouring the house, Alec then walked outside and that is when he noticed the bodies of Maggie and Paul who had both been shot dead in the backyard. Now Alec was completely distraught and he called 911 at 10.07 p.m. Now on this call Alec tells the operator that both his son and his wife had been shot and neither of them are breathing. He continues on to tell the operator that he was not home and that he was gone and that no one else should have been at the house that day so he has no idea who would have done this to them. Now both Paul and Maggie were found about a quarter mile away from the property so they were found near the dog kennels that they had on the property which were again about a quarter mile away from the actual house now paramedics arrived on the scene about 10 minutes after the 911 call was made and after an autopsy was performed it was concluded that paul was killed by two gunshot wounds one to the chest and another through the arm maggie on the other hand was killed by multiple gunshot wounds from a semi-automatic rifle, but it has been confirmed that Maggie and Paul were shot by two different guns. The medical examiner also concluded that Maggie and Paul had been shot anywhere from 9 o'clock to 9.30 p.m. on the night of the 7th, so that was just under an hour before Alec had come home that night. Now, when the news of Maggie and Paul's death surfaced, not only did it terrify the town, but it also hit mainstream media so incredibly quickly. You have all these different deaths connected to this family, and now you have the wife and the son who are shot dead in their backyard. Now, police announced very quickly that they did not believe that this was a man on the run or a killer at large, and that this was a very targeted attack, so no one in the town needed to worry. Now, in the very beginning, and I don't think anyone will be surprised by this, Alec was looked at as a person of interest in this case. Not only was he a part of the family and closest to the family, but he was also the one to discover their bodies. Alec's DNA was also found on both Maggie and Paul because according to him, he had to touch them in order to check if they were still breathing or not. Now on June 25th, 2021, there was an $100,000 reward put up for anyone who could provide any information about who was responsible for these murders. However, to this day, they remained unsolved. So that is the basis of the information on Paul and Maggie's murders that we knew as of then when I first reported this case. Now, usually when we cover a case like this, we always say, you know, who would want to hurt this family? They had no enemies. No one would ever do anything like this to them. No one ever said a bad word about them. However, it is very clear based off of everything that we have talked about in this episode so far that that was not the case. 
for the Murdoch family. And when Maggie and Paul's murders first took place, there were a lot of people who believed that this was a revenge killing for Mallory Beach's death. A lot of people believe that whoever killed Paul and Maggie were doing it to get revenge on Paul and that Maggie was basically collateral damage and was just there at the wrong place at the wrong time. A lot of people believe that even though Paul was preparing to go on trial for Mallory's death, that he was never actually going to have to face any consequences. And so whoever did this decided to take matters into their own hands. Now, more recently in the past few weeks, there has been more information that has surfaced about the Murdoch family and the secrets that they held behind closed doors. Now, recently it has been released that six weeks prior to the death of Maggie and Paul, Maggie was actually seeing a divorce attorney. She allegedly drove an hour away to have a meeting with the divorce attorney to potentially file for divorce. Now, Maggie was never really involved in the family finances. She never knew a lot about the family's money, where it came from, where it was going. And this attorney advised her to take a very close look at the family finances. It was also very well known by Alec Murdaugh's co-workers in the law firm that Maggie would always stop by the law firm and have lunch with Alec. That was kind of their thing. She would always come by and have lunch with her husband. However, in the months leading up to the murders, those lunch visits stopped and Maggie basically never came around. Alec's firm also had a Christmas party in December of 2020, and it was said that Alec and Maggie barely spoke to each other. No one saw them talking to each other, and it was clear that there was a lot of tension between the two of them. After that, there were multiple outings that Alec and Maggie were seen at together where people said that their vibe together was just very off. What once was a very loving and happy couple now seemed to have a lot of tension between the two of them. Now, like I said, to this day, there has been no suspect or person of interest named in Maggie and Paul's murder. What I will say is I think it's a little odd that they were shot by two different guns. It makes me think that there had to have been more than one shooter because why on earth would you shoot one person with one gun, put the gun down, grab another one, and then shoot another person with a different gun? I think logistically, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for this to have only been one person. However, if you guys have a theory out there about why one person would use two guns, I would love to hear it. Now, like I said, at first, a lot of people believed that Maggie and Paul's death was a revenge killing, which it still very well could be. It could have been an eye for an eye type of deal. However, as time is passing and more information is surfacing about this family, a lot of people believe that Alec Murdaugh was responsible for this. More people are looking at Alec and his bizarre behavior, which we will get into in a moment, as well as the potential rough spots in their marriage as motive for him to have done something like this. If he thought that Maggie was trying to divorce him or she was looking into the finances or confronted him about something. However, that's also not to say that just because they were going through a rough patch in their marriage that Alec murdered them. That's two very different sides of the spectrum. However, it does thicken the plot a little bit when it comes to motive. So all of that information leads us up to September 4th, 2021. So that was just a little over a month ago by the time you're hearing this. I'm recording this on October 10th, so just a little bit over a month. And on September 4th, 2021, Alec Murdaugh was driving his black Mercedes SUV on Old Sackalhatchie Road, and that is near Varnville in Hampton County. Now, this is a very quiet and rural road, and Alec pulled over on the side of the road to change his tires, which didn't really make a lot of sense considering his house was only a couple miles away. Now, when Alec got out of the car to change his tires, he was passed by a truck who once passing Alec, turned around, drove back towards him, and shot him in the head. Now, even though they were aiming for Alec's head, Alec was actually miraculously able to survive this attack with only a superficial gunshot wound 
to the head. Now, this truck driver drove off, and Alec was actually able to call 911 himself. He called 911 at 1.34 p.m., and when officers arrived, they airlifted him to the Memorial Health University Medical Center, located in Savannah, Georgia. Now, when investigating the crime scene, authorities found seven shell casings on the scene. Now, that obviously does not make a whole lot of sense, because why would there be seven shell casings and Alec only gets hit once. Now, when the news of this hit the media, the media went nuts. I'm sure if you've been following this case, you saw how crazy people went over this. How was it possible that this man's wife and child just got murdered and now he's getting shot just a couple months later and nonetheless survives the attack? He literally survived getting shot in the head. That is a one in a million chance. Now, officers stayed at the scene all throughout the night to collect as much evidence as possible. And shortly after that, Alec was actually able to start talking and recalling what happened and telling police about the attack and giving details. He again told them that a truck driver had driven past him, turned around, and shot him before driving off. And that was the story he was sticking to. However, police started to do a little different digging, and this is when some more information came to light. On September 3rd, which was the day prior to the shooting, Alec actually resigned from his law firm job, which was a very big deal, and coincidentally, he gets shot the next day. It all just seemed a little bit too ironic. However, police were quick to figure out the reason that Alec actually ended up resigning. It was discovered that Alec had embezzled $10 million from his law firm company. So he embezzles the $10 million, he resigns from his company, and then the next day he gets shot in the head. So police started digging at Alec a little bit more, and this is when Alec confesses to the fact that him getting shot in the head was all a part of his plan. Let me explain. This is when a 61-year-old man named Curtis Edward Smith comes into the picture. Curtis was a former client of Alec, and according to Curtis, the two of them were actually very close friends as well. Curtis said that he actually considered Alec to be like a brother to him. Curtis was born in Beaufort, South Carolina, and spent six years in the National Guard. He ended up getting into a logging accident one day that resulted in him having three discs removed from his back, and those discs got replaced with rods and screws. Now, because of this, he was left disabled and still struggles with the pain to this day. So after the accident is when Curtis hired Alec to help him in a personal injury lawsuit, and the two of them grew a friendship from there, or so Curtis thought. Curtis recently did a television interview where he said, quote, I say he's like a brother. I would have done anything in the world for him almost anyways. It's crushing to know that evidently, I mean nothing to nobody, especially to him, end quote. Now, why does Curtis feel that way? Well, what we know now is that Alec actually hired Curtis to shoot him. Yes, Alec hired another man, a friend of his, to shoot him in the head. And the motive behind this and the reasoning that he did this was so that Buster, his eldest son, would get the $10 million that Alec had embezzled out of his company. Now, you may be wondering, why wouldn't Alec just shoot himself? If that was all a part of the plan, that is why he did this, that was the goal. And that is because life insurance policies tend to have a suicidal clause in them. And what that means is that if someone takes their own life, a lot of times the life insurance money will not be released to them for at least two years. So because of that, Alec needed somebody there to collect the gun and take the gun with them. That way it didn't look like Alec was shooting himself. So that evidently Buster would get the $10 million. Now, Alec's lawyer said that this whole scheme was, quote, an attempt on his part to do something to protect his child. Alec believed that ending his life was the only option. However, he now knows that that is not true. Now, obviously what we know now is that Alec 
Beck's plan did not follow through the way he had thought. He didn't end up dying, Buster didn't end up getting the money, and evidently, Alec Murdaugh was arrested. Alec was arrested and charged with insurance fraud, conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, and filing a false police report. Now, Curtis was also arrested, and he was arrested for assault and battery of a high and aggravated nature, assisted suicide, insurance fraud, conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, and for pointing and presenting a firearm. Curtis was released on a $55,000 bond, and as of now, he is due to be back in court on November 8th of this year. Now, as far as Alec, he could be sentenced up to 20 years if he is found guilty on those three charges that I just mentioned. And I want to be clear, Alec has not been arrested or named a person of interest or named a suspect in the murders of his wife and son. Now, when Alec finally owned up and confessed to what he had did in terms of hiring Curtis, he was arrested and put into jail for five hours before he was released on bond for $20,000. So Alec's bond was actually less than Curtis's bond. Now, after being released from jail, he was then sent out to a rehab facility where he is currently staying while battling an opioid addiction. Alec has reportedly been addicted to opioids for 10 years now, and he would even buy those opioids from Curtis. So that is where Alec currently is. The last time he appeared in court was on September 14th, and the next time he will appear in court is actually in a couple days on October 25th, so coming up very soon. So that is the update as of right now. And that is all of the new information that we have. And I am so curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. Now, in the original episode that we did on this case, it was really hard for me to wrap my head around why Alec would want to murder his family if we were looking at it as him being responsible for this. However, now seeing the underlying issues that this family had, it is a little bit easier and more clear for me to see the motive as to why he would want to do something like this or not want to, but why he did allegedly do this. I don't necessarily see a reason for him to have ended his life and embezzled the $10 million if he wasn't guilty for this because he could have carried on and lived his life and had his eldest son. I mean, one could argue that the pain of losing his wife and youngest son was too much for him and he decided to end his life. I think that that is a very valid argument. However, when you look at all of the other deaths that are connected to this family, it doesn't seem as clear cut as that. Clearly, this family was not in as good of a financial situation as they were presenting themselves to be in. The fact that Alec embezzled $10 million. And mind you, that $10 million was missing for a decent period of time. So no one really knew that Alec had embezzled all of this money. Another question I have for you guys is, do you think Buster was involved in Stephen Smith's death? That one, again, is very difficult because there's a lot of he said, she said. However, in that small of a town, there's a reason that Buster's name has been brought up. Whether that was that he was directly involved or not, hopefully we will find out soon. However, we just don't know right now. I am so curious to hear all of your guys' thoughts and opinions on this case, so please let me know. You can email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com, and you can also comment down below in the YouTube video your thoughts as well. Also remember to follow Killer Instinct on Instagram. It is just Killer Instinct Podcast. Also get ready for Hollow Week, you guys. We are going to be doing Hollow week next week the five days leading up to halloween we are going to be posting an episode every single day and you are not going to want to miss it make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and share this episode with anyone that you know who likes true crime the more exposure we get on these cases the better chance we have of solving them and bringing justice to the family i'll be back in a couple days with a brand new case for you guys and until then stay safe bye guys